Well, haven't I got a surprise on today's podcast? This interview is with someone that, let me tell you a secret. I'm a bit anti-automation when it comes to the whole LinkedIn thing and looking at your kind of, you know, how you run your LinkedIn account and do your prospecting and all that kind of stuff. I would much rather spend the time and do it myself and get a good understanding of who I'm reaching out to. And so that's what I do. But what happened was I was going through some data um, and I was looking at people that engaged in my content and I reached out to these people that engaged with me and um, this, this name popped up and I thought, I recognize that name, didn't think anything of it. And then actually ended up in conversation with this individual. And it turned out that the person that I was talking to was none other than Francesca Halsall. So if you've not heard the name Fran Halsall before, Fran is a, I mean, wow, she is an Olympic athlete. Talk about elite mindset, or we will be talking about elite mindset. But she's represented Great Britain multiple times. Um, she's a swimmer. She's held records. She was known as the, um, you know, like she was she was one of the fastest female swimmers on the planet. Um, you know, she was the fastest female swimmer on the planet at one point. And, um, you know, now, now she's only one of them, which is something I'm going to ask her about. So I'm really, really excited to interview her. Um, it's the first time we've spoken. But I, I just feel like there, there's so much we can talk about. So I'm looking forward to this. We're going to dive in. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I've already done like a little bit of an intro and, and just explained that essentially, I, you know, I was going through my data, doing my prospecting, reaching out to people. And, you know, I, you know, I expected another recruiter. I didn't expect another recruiter that's also, you know, an, an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> it's like recruiters can be surprising, but I think your, yours will be a story I tell for a while. <laughs> Not the not the first well yeah not the first person to say that and also it's I suppose quite interesting how you segue from Olympic sports into recruitment as a story in itself isn't it really <laughs> absolutely absolutely but we're not going to talk about recruitment today where it might come up but we'll try and stay away from it um, because the you know one of the, so one of the reasons I really wanted to pick up and talk to you was around the mindset piece um, and that kind of thing but before we do dive in um yeah tell us your story well where do I start I suppose um I from the age of about 10 years old decided that I wanted to be an Olympian and that was my dream that was my goal that was the only thing that mattered to me was becoming an Olympian and I can envisage myself stood on those starting blocks racing in the Olympic Games and winning a medal for my country. That was like the dream from 10. So from 10 years old, I was kind of on this journey, on this path. And in swimming, you actually, you are good quite young. It's a sport where you're very successful from a young age. It takes a lot of training to be able to be good at it. So there's kids out there that are 14, 15, 13, doing 60,000 metres a week in the pool. And that's just like 
mind-blowing really and you'd go before school so I was getting up at quarter to five swimming six to eight going straight to school coming straight out of school going straight back to the swimming pool and then training again trying to get my homework in and ready to go again the next day so it really was like my life from quite a young age and I was quite lucky that I was quite good at it from a young age too so I never really it, I, f- I found it quite easy I just happened to be naturally talented at it which is lucky but also then later on in my journey I found that left me a little bit unstuck in places but I basically got got onto the senior team at I think I was 15 when I first qualified for the senior international team so I got to go to Melbourne to the Commonwealth Games in 2006 and that was just a completely new eye-opening experience I was this 15 year old girl in a world full of adults on the, in, in Melbourne in Australia competing at Commonwealth Games like I went back to school a rock star basically everybody loved it everyone thought it was amazing I was on this upward trajectory of swimming really well swimming really fast so it kind of that was my first like dip my toe into the international swimming scene and then from there carried on doing well I won I think I was, I was always on the team. So 2008 was my first Olympic Games, went to the Olympics, made a final at the Olympic Games at 18. So that was massive. Had the best time ever again, 18 in Beijing, in amongst all these other athletes, eating like lunch with Rafael Nadal and like people like that. And just you're surrounded by this environment that's incredible. So everything was going great, going well. 2009 won my first world championship medal. I got silver at the world championships, which was also incredible. 2010 again a great year then I got to 2012 and that was when things in my career started to go a bit topsy-turvy really I hadn't um I'd gone into the Olympics London Olympics and that as I said from 10 my like journey was to be an Olympian I'd already done that and then after that I'll success at home Olympic Games like you want to stand there you're walking out to 15,000 people they're all screaming for you. It's the most incredible experience of your life. And then before it, I was one of the highlighted as one of probably a person who could get a medal at the Olympics in London. I went into the Olympic Games ranked second, I think, in my main event, the 50 freestyle. But ultimately, I fell flat on my face, really, and didn't get a medal. So came out of it absolutely traumatized I've never had to deal with a failure like it before in my life I'd always been really good at what I was doing and I didn't know what to do or who I was like my whole identity is wrapped up in this sport and being successful and being known as a great swimmer so I had to then reassess everything I had to check myself and my whole being was wrapped up in being a swimmer so I had to unlearn that and really then realize that I loved swimming. I loved pushing myself to the limits of what I could achieve. And that's what it was about. Like, I didn't want to be in Fran the Great Swimmer's one thing, but Fran the Great Wife, Fran the Great like Sister, Fran the Great Friend, that's what I want to be remembered as and who I am. So that failing ultimately then led me on to being a much more knowledgeable person, loving what I did so much more and had the, an even better four years of my career than the previous four. So I had this great swimming career. I went to Rio, swam fantastic. I, in between that, I was 
I think I ended up fastest woman in the world one year and still to this day, only five women have swum faster than me or six, I think. I don't know, somewhere around there. So it was pretty cool. But I ended my career and was like, what do I do now? Because obviously when I finished, I was still only 26. So then here I am at the back end of it after it all with this crazy experience of ups and downs, a lot of stories to tell along the way, but also still only just 30 now. <laughs> do you know, it, it's winded. <laughs> No, no, it's great. It's great because I, to be honest, it's great because I was thinking when I was like doing my research, I was like, there's no way I'm going to remember all of that in the right order and the right medals at the right events. And so that's (laughs) perfect. So there's, I mean, there's loads of stuff I want to pick up on, um, but we kind of work backwards because the the other slightly weird thing was that obviously we had a, we had a conversation on Tuesday last week um over LinkedIn and um later in the day I was talking with um, one of my mentors um and something that had come up in in the conversation was about looking we were talking about someone else and them looking for opportunities to find leads and one of the things that he'd suggested was actually you know people that are um athletes people that are in sport actually their careers kind of the careers end before life's really got started and you have all this training and everything. And I was like, aha, you won't believe what happened to me today. So that kind of that shift. So what was life like just before you retired from swimming? And then like, what did it go to and what was the shift there? It's a really interesting time. It's weird to say the least when I finally, so I knew that I wasn't going to go on again to another Olympics. Like I'd already decided that people would tell me, yeah, you can, yeah, you should. But once you've already kind of stepped away from it mentally a bit, you, you can't do it. It's, it's too much focus, too much effort, too much being on top of everything every single day. But if you are not a hundred percent in with everything then you are not going to be successful. And the only reason for me to carry on would have been the Tokyo Olympics. So I decided, no, I'm done. This is me done. Hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do next. And that, I suppose, was good and bad because I thought I can try loads of different things out. I've I've got all this knowledge, I've got this wealth of experience. What do I direct that into? As you said, like, when you come out of sport, you're still only young you're still developing as a person and it's it's only really now four years after that I kind of get what I've achieved and get where what I've done and my mindset behind it and everything that I put into practice over those 10 years why that's important for anybody in any career and any kind of industry so as soon as I came out I love coffee and food and drink is like something I love and when you're an athlete all you can do you can't go out to the pub, but you can't go to the bars. So you go out drinking coffee all day in between training. So it was just spent so much time in coffee shops all around the world. That I was like, I want to open my own coffee shop. So that was like my plan. I went and did a barista training course in London so I can do the most perfect flat white. I could go up against anybody. My latte art is on point. Obviously, like I have to be the best at it because I'm competitive. So... <laughs> I went and did the qualifications. I've been practicing my rosetta day in, day out. I, open, I opened the coffee shop. I opened a coffee shop in um, 
Altrincham, just outside of Manchester, which was a, it's a great location. I think it's been voted best like place to live in Britain like the last couple of years and stuff. So a really affluent area in the suburbs of Manchester. So a perfect spot for great coffee, great brunch. So I opened that up and it was just a whole new world. I like everything that I thought I knew about like people, how to behave, how to be successful, got totally tested opening my own business. <laughs> Literally, I was like, okay, so I need to work out a profit and loss form. What's VAT? Okay, so I need to take into account everybody's staffing percentages, right? Okay, so it was just literally learning on the job, adapting, understanding, making decisions, which I I loved. But what really kind of struck me was how much it was, like people interested me massively. Because I was in this bubble where everybody's mindset was to get the best out of themselves, to then go and win at something. Whereas now people are just involved in this world of hospitality because they just want some money to take home. It's not like they don't live and breathe it. So that was like a really big learning point for me. Anyway, ultimately I sold the coffee shop, moved on. What's going to be next? What should I do next? So I'm still in this phase where I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I want to be. I was decided, oh, marketing will be interesting. I'll like have a go at that. <laughs> So I applied to, for her to be a media executive at Mediacom, which is one of the biggest global advertising agencies in the world. Managed to get, get in there, get on this like media executive scheme. And I was like, absolutely made up. So down in London, the girl from Southport and like just outside of like Liverpool, just in the big city, loving life as you do. But being in the big corporate world for me, and starting again at the bottom, I still hadn't realised what my skills were and what my worth was of what everything that I'd done before actually meant. So I came into this world, a big corporate system, got stuck in, so interesting, really enjoyed it. Obviously, as I always have done with my career every day, turned up more than on time, stayed longer than I should to make sure I knew everything and got to learn the ropes and all the skills needed to be good at this, but found that you kind of like restricted in a sense because you you can't develop at the rate I wanted to develop at because there's so many structures in place and so many like, no, you've got to tick this box, you've got to be here this long. And it's just, I found that that was quite suppressing for my skills as an athlete where as soon as you swim fast enough, I was 15, like doing things that 30 year olds were doing, things like that. So it was, yeah, that was a really weird situation and thought, no, this isn't for me. So then, so now I'm on my fourth career, basically. <laughs> so there's a couple of things in that I, I want to ask you about. So first of all, you grew up, I assume, I don't know that I assume you grew up and you've got coaches and trainers and physics. You've got this whole circle of people around you that are giving you all this support. And then at 26, you leave and essentially all that disappears I assume or like is there anything there at that point or is it just like the rug goes it is I think it's got a bit better now but literally it's like okay thanks for your service here's three months pay you're done like left to your own devices so it's kind of I think I think because I just threw myself into something else completely it made it a bit easier but if I hadn't 
had the luxury that I'd done quite well, so I had a bit of money to invest in doing something for myself. I think I'd have found it really hard because you don't, when your identity is wrapped around something so much, what do you do with that? And you've got all these skills that are transferable, yes, but there's no on-the-job knowledge of anything other than sport. So I don't know what, like, what the software world does. I don't know what marketing is. I don't know all these things. And there wasn't really anybody there saying, Fran, your skills and your personality and everything that you've done can be translated and it translates in this way. And this is what you can now go on to achieve. And that was really missing when I finished sport. And I think a lot of athletes do struggle with that transition out of their identity being wrapped around sport and what they did into what they want to do next so leading on from that the the other question is about sort of you were in a culture where success is everything everyone has success everyone's striving for success success is it's not something that the elite want it's something that everyone is like you know 0.2 of a second away from yes so (laughs) What was the, like, did you, have you felt a shift in your mindset when it comes to success or has there been, like, how do you define success? Has there been a shift in that definition? Very, very good question. I've I've had to redefine what success looks like, but I kind of was lucky to learn that when I was swimming because after failing so hard at the London Olympics, I had to redefine what success looked like. I think that was a massive learning and something that I've taken on now in everything that I do that successes don't have to be massive and they don't have to be like being the best in the world or something and it's literally you can define success in any way you want and some days for me like it's literally making everybody else in the office smile and that's a massive success because one of my values is that I want people to be inspired by me and if I can make everybody smile it's inspiring them to be happier be more positive and enjoy what they're doing so I've totally redefined what success looked like and it was weird that it was in my training group I trained at Loughborough which was a national performance center for swimming so we went to the Commonwealth Games in 2014 there was eight of us in our squad and seven of us got Commonwealth Games medals so that was just like that was the norm like it was it was weird if you weren't striving for that but I've had to adapt and understand where different people are at and also understand that my mindset behind what I did wasn't really normal. It was, I was in this bubble of elite sport that can be translated massively, but I just thought it was normal. So I've been able to understand more now what the skills are and how other people can apply them and adapt them. And that's why recruitment's amazing because I've been able to, because recruitment and sport. I've never met more resilient people than recruiters. If you're going to be successful in recruitment, you have to be resilient. You have to accept that you're going to be knocked back constantly and celebrate the small wins. And it's exactly the same as in sport. I had to day in, day out, I was up at five o'clock in the morning, like throwing myself into a freezing cold swimming pool for just one day a year where I had a little bit of success. And that was like my life. And I see the guys in our office day in, day out, like on the phones, getting rejected, stepping back, putting it logically and trying again. And I think it's exactly the same. Like if you get your 
ego and everything wrapped up in what you do, it's gonna you're gonna react emotionally to it and you're not gonna be able to be successful. And the best recruiters I've seen logically think about what they do and how they do it. And they think, right, I just need to carry on with my processes. And if I keep in the processes, I'll get the results. And that's exactly the same as what it is in sport. So it's been really eye-opening interesting being involved in recruitment. And also the fact that we work in safety critical sectors and the IT sectors. So being able to understand those worlds more has been massively interesting for me. Like I took part in Digital Manufacturing Week last week and I was just in awe of everything that's being created, like developed. And that's the UK manufacturing scene. And I'm just like, this is incredible. I've never had my eyes open to anything like this before. So you actually learn more about business being in recruitment than I think you do actually being in a business in an industry, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, I completely get it. Completely get it. I, I um, A lot of the recruiters we, we work with, one of the questions I ask them is like, what are you actually in the business of? Yeah. So don't lose sight of that bit because actually it's, it's that bit. It's, you know, recruiters change lives. Yeah. And it's, it's something, but, you know, I think there's this whole mindset around recruiters where it, it's kind of like, you know, we, we see the recruiter bashing on LinkedIn every now and then, not so much recently, perhaps, but, you know, it, it does happen. But yeah, at the end of the day, recruiters kind of, you know, on one level, they're changing lives. On another level, they're creating a world where, you know, the bacon gets put on the table, the kids get fed that day. You know, it, it, it's amazing what they what they're actually able to do versus the crap they have to deal with as well. I think a lot of people don't see that element of it. No, they don't. And also like, I, I see it as if you're really talented, like for me, I, I had an agent when I was swimming. I looked at what I did. I had an agent representing me to put me out there to make money really for myself and for their brand. So I see kind of recruitment in a similar way. Like if you're really talented at something and you want somebody to be the like be your spokesperson for you to go to these companies and say I know this person's amazing at what they do I've got this great relationship with them I think they'd be an amazing fit for your business and if somebody's taken the time to actually find this person understand them and know that they're going to be good for your business specifically because they know the industry as a whole then that's incredible that's massive and it really interests me when people don't want to see this talent that you've got that you're like um you go through LinkedIn and you go wow this person's amazing look what they've done look what they can do like they'd be amazing for that company and you're kind of matchmaking that but nobody sees it like that it's really it that confuses the hell out of me I've been working with recruiters for the last eight years and I, I sometimes the stories they tell me and I just think like it, it's they have to, they have to exist on a separate plane yeah. to be able to deal with the the, the rejection. Yeah. You know, it's um, I I have this issue with resilience and grit. Okay. I think a lot of people use those terms, and they use it in a kind of like, yeah, I can deal with I can deal with anything. What they don't actually ever deal with is the problem. So that that resilience, it's like it's being used as a shield and they're going into battle, but that shield's getting thinner and thinner each time. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, there's 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 lots of stuff going on around mental health in recruitment and, 
you know, and, and I think that's one of one of the things people don't they don't do the work to maintain their their mental wellness and that you know that maintain their mindset. You throwing yourself into something and not taking the learnings from it, then you're going to burn out. You're going to feel like crap. You're not going to be able to do your job as well. You have to be able to, if it's, if it's something's happened that you're dealing with and you don't logically think about what happened, why it happened, what box am I going to put this in and how am I going to deal with it? What's my strategy going to be next time I come up against this? You just, as you said, you're just going to be worn thinner and thinner and thinner to the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's completely understandable, isn't it? But there needs to be people talking about and educating around the fact that it is a strategy. And yes, it's so it's, it's funny because it's like a badge of honour being resilient, isn't it? But ultimately, that's my problem yeah, with it. the only way you can be resilient is if you've been put through crap again and again and again. So it's not it's not actually a badge of honour. It's just dealing with a difficult situation and be able to adapt to it quickly. That's ultimately what resilience is. And yes, everybody can be resilient. Nobody wants to be resilient. You don't go to work every day thinking, yeah, I want to be resilient today. Like, no, you don't. You want to go to work every day thinking, I'm going to smash it today. I'm going to have a great day. You don't want to be thinking, nobody thinks like that. So the whole resilience thing is mad, but it's, it's literally just logically putting things in order and having a strategy for you every time something gets hard. What can I control? Okay, I control this. And right, I'm going to use that. And that's going to be what I focus on now moving forward, I think. Mm. So I, um, it kind of underpins what you, you were saying, but it, it like I said, I've, I've, essen- I've essentially just like your name's permanently been in Google for the last like 72 hours. <laughs> but there was oh uh, one, <laughs> one of the videos that I came across, you were talking, um, you were talking about uncontrollables. And I think it was, um, I think it was linked to a story in Rio where you thought you were going to, you weren't going to make it. Yeah, I literally, I, yeah. So basically so it's the Rio Olympic Games. It's my last swim of my career. I know it's going to be the last of my career. And I'm in, I was in great shape. I'd had a great four years. As I said, I'd changed my mindset and I was looking at everything as an opportunity. So it's not I should do this. It's I could do this. I'm here at the Olympic Games. I'm racing against the fastest in the world. I can't control what they can do. I can only control me and my situation, what I'm doing, my race plan, my processes. And that's the only thing that matters. And I'm in Blooming Rio. How cool is that? So literally, that was my mindset going into it. No more, I've got to win. I've got to get a medal. I've got to do this. It was a, I'm going to be competitive in this race. And ultimately, I'm going to give it my best. And that's all I can do. All I can do is give it my best. So anyway, the things, as an athlete, what you do do is you plan everything to within an inch of your life. So before a race, for example, I'll know that the race is going at a certain time. So say the race is going at 5 p.m. I'll work back everything then of what I need to do at exactly what time and give myself about 20 minutes leeway for if anything goes wrong. So I know I need to turn up at the pool at a certain time, need to get my racing suit on at a certain time, need to have my last energy gel at a certain time, speak to my coach at a certain time before then I go to the call room where all the girls sit down before you then go out to compete in the race. So all this is laid out. I know all this. I'm feeling great. And then what happened was in the Olympics, it's like a massive village and there's a dining hall, there's like uh, warm up areas. And then there's like a, a big bus hall 
basically like a big bus turnaround, and all different stops are going to different venues. So you'll have one going to the taekwondo venue, one going to the hockey fields, and then the ones for the swimming. So all I remember is the ones for the swimming. That's all I need to know about. So at the right time, I know I need to get the bus to walk up to the terminal where I'm supposed to be on the bus. Going to the pool, yeah. There's a couple of, one of the girl that's in my race is on the bus with me. So I'm chatting with my teammates. Like, next thing you know, it's about 40 minutes. I'm just like, pretty sure we should have been at the pool by now. Like, it's usually only a 30-minute journey. Oh, well, I've probably just been stuck in some traffic. I've been distracted, distracting myself, just keeping relaxed. And then we turn up at bus stops and it stops at the Olympic Stadium which is where the athletics is taking place and I'm just like this isn't good <laughs> and like you know when you all suddenly get that feeling and you just heart sinks it's like oh god what am I doing here so this this kind of happens and I kind of think right like the only thing I can do with this situation now is what can I control I can't control that I'm at the Olympic Stadium I can't control the fact that I can't speak Portuguese and the bus driver can't speak English. So I can't tell him that he needs to get me to the swimming pool as soon as possible. So I ring my coach. My coach is like, don't be silly. <laughs> like, don't joke with me like that. Like, no, no, no. The coach is called James. Like, James, if, they, if I stay on this bus back to the stadium, back to the Olympic Village and then get on another one, I'm going to miss my swim. And he's like, it just went silent and then just went, leave it with me. So in the back of my mind, I, all sorts of things were starting to happen. It's like, oh my God, I've trained for this amount of time. I've like put in everything to this event and now I'm not even going to be able to compete in it. It's my dream. And like, ultimately I had to check myself right there and then I had to stop those thoughts because they aren't helping me. I cannot control what happens next. The only thing I can control is I've spoken to my coach I've given him the situation and I need to stay relaxed because ultimately in my head, I still want to compete. I still want to swim. And it would be really easy in that moment to start blaming and like blaming the bus driver, getting irate, getting emotional. But all that is doing is wasting my energy. It's going to make me not be able to compete as well. But also it's like, given me an excuse and people like excuses and reasons to get out and to have that when they don't succeed. So because I've unwrapped my ego around swimming, I didn't have that anymore. So I was more like, no, I'm here because I want to do this. I'm really excited about it. So I can control how relaxed I stay on this bus. And ultimately my coach, I don't know how he managed it. The whole Olympic schedule got changed for the swimming. So my event got changed but I still then had to compete. And as I said, it had been really easy to go, oh, I'm emotionally drained. I'm so tired. This has happened to me. Like, oh, I can't do this. Because I got to the pool and as I mentioned, you're very much structured of what you do. Couldn't do a warm up, didn't have time. I literally had to throw my racing costume on and walk out to race in the Olympic semi-final against the 15 other fastest women in the world. <laughs> but I, I like won my semi-final and qualified for the Olympic final because in that moment of, I'm going to let this all get on top of me and stress out about it and think about all the things that I can't control. I probably, if I'd have done that, I wouldn't have made the final. There's no, there's no room for error. I saw my 50 meter freestyle. It's like hundreds of a second difference between winning and making the final. So I haven't got the luxury to make, to let my emotions and my mind go into that state. 
So just by control, like understanding that that's where it was going and then going, no, logically, what can I do? I can't control that. This is what I can control. It put everything at ease and like made me then perform well enough to make an Olympic final. So in that moment, when, when you're like, it, so like, you know, today in the world that you're in and you're witnessing, because it must happen, you witness other people and they're in that state of overwhelm where they're blaming everyone else. The toys are going out the pram. It's like, you know, this is the worst possible thing that could have happened in the world. And that's it. We can't, we can't possibly move any further forward. There must be like a little voice in your head going like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I get it though. I like completely get it. Like I've, I've been that person that's blamed like at London. I put a lot of blame on my coach. I blamed like different situations as to why I didn't perform how I wanted to. And that it happens. And it's easy. It's easy to get into that state. But ultimately now it's, you have to want to get over that and you have to want to be, a better, not a better person but like a more elite rounded person so to speak that you can park that and it is a learning thing unfortunately <laughs> you have to like go through like really crappy times and understand why it went wrong but if you don't ever understand why it went wrong or why you felt like that or even give so as I said, the, the thoughts were still there. I still thought, oh my God, I'm going to miss this. And it's like massively important to me. It was still there. It, that's never not going to be there because there's like that emotional part of your brain that's always going to react before the logical anyway. So for me, I've come to learn that I have to let the emotional side just have its little say before I nip it. Because if I try and bury it and bury it, I say, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. It Then it's never fine. <laughs> so it's like oh crap you're gonna miss this event and this is the most important thing in my world right now and it's not gonna happen brilliant but then I'm like yeah okay I get it I get why so I'm like literally having a mental battle with myself uh, with like one side of my little chimps going nuts like absolutely fuming and logical Fran is like okay I understand but you've got to understand that your emotions are going to come out and they're allowed to come out but the quicker you can see that you're acting emotionally and understand that that's an emotional reaction, the quicker you can get yourself back on track with anything. And like I said, if I couldn't get myself back on track quickly, I would have not had an energy to be able to, it have made the hundreds of a second difference that meant I wouldn't have been able to compete in the final. But it is, it's a learning thing. It's learning that, yeah, I'm reacting emotionally to this, which is fair enough. And hey, like emotions, it's fine. I get you but here's what we're going to do. Because then your emotions settle down. They're like, okay, I'm on board. Let's do what you need to do. <laughs> so I'm like, there's a very good friend of mine. And whenever we're talking about emotions and he's sort of, you know, emotions, they're, they're those things other people have, aren't they? <laughs> you know, that's like our line. Um, okay. So the other thing that struck me when I was stalking you was um, <laughs> you've, so at one point, you were like the fastest woman in the world. <laughs> yeah. You, you got superhero. You were superhuman in the swim world, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, I was. And I probably didn't even like at the time. It was just that it was just 
oh yeah, that's cool. Right, next goal. But now it's actually like, what I have learned from my career is make time to appreciate the success that you've had. And I literally that year, my coach like printed off the world rankings for me and he's like, here it is. You were the fastest woman in the world this year. Have it. And I was like, whatever, James. Like, don't need that. But now... How old were you at this time? I was 24, but still I was just like, well, whatever, James. Like, yes, I'm the fastest woman in the world, but still got more to do, still got more to come. But ultimately, I've, I've still got that. And then it's funny because um, as part of a relay that broke a world record, so you get presented these big, massive certificates. They're incredible, really. They're, they're quite garish and in your face, but you've got this massive world record certificate. And my other half, actually, is a professional sportsman as well. He plays rugby. And um, in our bathroom every day, he has to walk in now and see a world record certificate. I think his um, athletic career maybe is second in the family. <laughs> Oh, you got to love a bit of competition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, it was funny because, you know, obviously thinking about questions to ask you and that kind of thing. And it's like, you know, it's like with the failure thing, I think a lot of people that feel failure, they, or experience failure, failure, they don't necessarily take responsibility. But then on the flip side, Sometimes it's like, you know, does success breed complacency? But what you've just said kind of, um, you know, it, it, again, I, I was having a conversation with, the, with someone this afternoon, lunchtime today, actually. And, you know, we were talking about goals and success and that kind of thing. And I am definitely one of those people where I set a goal, incremental gains to get there, I achieve it. And then rather than go, hurrah, I've done it, I'm immediately pissed off with myself because I'm not close enough to the next goal. <laughs> and so like that complacency. Are you then ever happy though? <laughs> well, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's like an entrepreneurial thing and I'm, I'm not necessarily comfortable with saying I am an entrepreneur, <laughs> but I think there is this kind of like you're never happy. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it's, it's always striving. And I think it's, value and ultimately I had to when I went through a big failure I sat down and analyzed what my values were and the value is being the best that I can be and that's what I value massively it's one of my top five things that will always be there that I can't get away from and I think that's like what entrepreneurs are like it's like one of your main core values that means one of the most things to you as a person is pushing yourself to be the best that you can be. And that is, that is it. There's like no halfway house. It's I've got to be the best I can be. Okay. I've done that. Take what else can I do to be even better than I was before? And that is the mindset of an elite sports person. And also I've said as, as an entrepreneur, you kind of have that same value. Mm-hmm. Is, is that how you would define elite mindset because we hear all sorts of success mindset growth mindset elite you know so is that is that what 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 is it specifically about having an elite mindset that is different to any of those other terms I think well I think having a growth mindset and elite mindset is probably pretty similar because the growth mindset you are always wanting to grow assessing what's happened and trying again and I think it's pretty much the same as having an elite mindset as as an elite person you 
function in a way that you're always driving to be better, to change, to adapt. You appreciate that failure is part of that and you understand that it's not, oh, failed, crap, I've failed. It's right, okay, that's done. How do I how do I adapt? How do I change? How do I do something different? And I think especially at this time in the world, what everybody's going through at the moment. If you've had the right mindset, you will thrive in this environment. You, you, you won't feel like it at the time, but you'll feel like you're wading through everything trying to get through. But you are, other people are stopping. You think that that's normal to do that, but in the whole grand scheme of how many billion people are on the earth, that's not normal. And that's not a, like not a normal behavior for everybody. So it's embraced the people that will come to the top and get through this are the ones that understand where they're at and keep pushing and like know that they can get better but understand the situation they're in and I think they put things into perspective think logically and can control what it is that they can control in that moment ultimately. You've achieved a massive amount through your career Thank you know you. you're 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 only 30. You yeah, know, I feel old like, now. You're like, you're like a baby. <laughs> baby. <laughs> If you could go back now to that sort of 10-year-old girl that was going, you know, mum, dad, I want, to be, I, I want to win a gold medal. It's like, you know, were, were they... If I'd have said that to my parents, they'd have been like, yeah, whatever, love. <laughs> I don't think they'd have given it that much time, really, you know. And it, it's, you know, it's just a... In, in where I am now in business, I've worked really hard to get a circle of, of people around me that could that are my cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, and it, it's almost like you must have had, clearly you've had that from an early age. But if you were to go back to yourself at, at that point and you were listening to this 10-year-old child, what, what would you be saying to yourself? I can tell you what my parents are saying to me. They basically said, if you're in France, we're in. Whatever you want to do, we'll be behind you no matter what. And as soon as you say you don't want to do it, we're not forcing you to do it. So if you ask mum and dad, they'd say, every time my alarm went off in the morning, I was the one that was waking them up to go training. I was the one that was making no excuses. I'm tired. I just want to go to school. I don't want to go to school with wet hair anymore. It was me that was like switching their light on and saying, we're going training now. And that, that was, that was it. They were just so supportive in what I wanted to do. And I think that had translated to anything that I wanted to do, but they gave me the confidence to basically me, they gave me the opportunity. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to get to training, would I? So they had to be on board as well. And they like you need a team. You need a team around you that are gonna cheerlead you, support you, pick you up a bit when you're down. My mum and dad would say they'd never say the right thing to me when I was down. I'd always come back with something at them, but they were always there and they were always on board. And it was, I remember very clearly, it'd be like, right, Fran. I was Basically, it was at the turning point where they, I was going to be asked to do more training. They were going to want me to go to early mornings at law school. And uh, they just sat me down at 12 and said, do you want to do this? And I was like, yes. Like, well, as soon as you don't, we're not pushing you to do it. It's on you. 
And then it was all on me. So it was my decision. Everything was my decision of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And they were just there to pick me up, push me along. My dad's in his sleeping bag in the car at five in the morning, waiting to get out of the pool, things like that. They were literally like, if, if I had a kid, I would not get into swimming. <laughs> <laughs> they could do some other sport one that's more love that. that's in the sunshine somewhere not at five o'clock in the morning at Everton Park Sports Centre in between Anfield and Everton Football Stadiums and you car with your duvet yeah, while your kids swim it's not a glamorous, glamorous life being a swimming parent that's for sure <laughs> do you know I think people think that like the the you know even I think people think it's glamorous, don't they? Yeah. It's not. And like 90, 90% of what you do as an elite athlete, nobody sees. Nobody sees the day where you're crying into your goggles because it's that hard of a session. They only see the fact that you're in Rio swimming in Olympic Games, rubbing shoulders with all these people, competing for medals. But it's the five o'clock in the morning starts where you've literally not even taken your pyjamas off and you turn up on poolside still in your pyjamas with like literally don't know where you are and just throwing yourself in. But I think that's, you learn that it's very much, it's, I suppose it's quite a good, um, a good analogy for procrastination. You just don't procrastinate. It's like, you just go, like, it's like, you just go, you get going, you keep going. And that's like, it's grueling. It's not, it's not an easy life and it's not, it's by no means glamorous. Like if you'd have seen half my school pictures, I was the least glamorous <laughs> person ever going to school every day. <laughs> but even like you're on a training camp and we went to some amazing places on training camps, went to Florida like year in, year out for some warm weather training, which is amazing. Like it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It was warm weather, but we're four weeks in a in a motel so it's basically your bed and your cooker is opposite the bed so you're eating dinner on your bed where you're sleeping in and then you can't go out to too many places or go walking too far because you're there for training you're there you've got a rest so your little world's just in like a little motel room and that's it and you're away from your family don't you miss people's weddings you miss like big life moments for friends and stuff and it's not glamorous but you're on this pursuit of perfection and this goal that you've got that you're happy to sacrifice it for that I suppose which is weird (laughs) you know it's like especially when you you know you must have had it as well when you open the coffee shop you go so you've gone from this perfection 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 into a world where you know just get it done just ship it doesn't have to be perfect just get it out there and yeah how did that sit it was interesting really interesting because yeah sports very much uh most of the time you know exactly what's going to happen when and it's very much routine but you cannot account for customers can you in any situation you can't account for customers so it's really interesting when you're serving someone coffee and they don't even look up at you and you're like <laughs> three years ago everybody's screaming at me on telly to be successful and do really well for the country and now no one even bother saying thank you to me for delivering them a coffee 
<laughs> it's really interesting. It's like it you know who I am. <laughs> it, brings you, it brings you straight back down to earth. It's fantastic. It's such a good like literally. I loved it. But as you said, the fact that you can't have everything perfect at all times, and there's so much, there's things that are completely out of your control, and it's more about getting it done and getting things out. And you've got checks and checks and checks of coffees on the coffee machine and you're thinking this person at the end is not going to get a coffee for 30 minutes the amount of time it's going to take they're going to be absolutely fuming how are we handling that you're starting to have to like think about things a lot differently and all and like also I've always had people there that I can draw on so my coach will be knowledgeable about something my sports scientists will be knowledgeable about something else my physio I can go to for other things nutritionist so I could pick information from everybody. So as long as I was a good communicator to get everything I needed from everybody, that's fine. But when it's you and one other person, you're making the coffee and doing like the till and they're in the kitchen and you're trying to, it's like absolute chaos. (laughs) Baptism of fire into business. (laughs) So just before we finish then, you know, going from complete control into chaos it's like, do you miss it? Ah, kind of. I didn't at first, but now I kind of understand why people say I keep doing it as long as you could. And it is, it's fantastic knowing exactly week in, week out, where you're supposed to be, what you're doing. But also it's, it's nice now to have the freedom to, I love traveling, I love coffee, I, I love wine now, unfortunately, as well. So I can have a glass of wine, I can enjoy different parts of life that I didn't get to enjoy. So yes, I miss the very much regimented being surrounded by people that are at the pinnacle of doing something. But it's also really nice now to be able to inspire other people to understand more about that and understand more how, what they can get from that as well. So it's, I kind of, I like chatting, as you probably noticed. <laughs> so being able to talk to people about what they're doing, how they do it, and comparing notes and understanding where the, everything fits is great. So I feel like I'm on a different journey now to figure out how I can use all this knowledge and skills that I've got from my sport, but what they translate into, how they actually can help, and what that does actually mean for everybody very on a philosophical level that's fantastic so that's that's we'll wrap things up there that's absolutely amazing where can people get hold of you do they obviously you're you're with jam recruitment at the minute is that the best place to find you i know you're doing some stuff around mindset and elite mindset so yeah where where do they reach yeah so that's so jam basically have got me on board as something a bit out of the box of what they can offer as well as just traditional recruitment it's more I as part of it's literally with no charge to anybody me delivering a webinar or a lunch and learn or just motivating a team really that you have in your business that needs help so ultimately recruitment is about servicing clients and making sure that they get the best so if everybody that's working for you can understand a bit more about the mindset it takes to be the best then that's only going to help everybody and that's kind of Jam's approach to it is we want Fran to be out there speaking to as many people as possible, as many of our clients as possible, or potential clients, so that they can embrace what she's doing and what she has to offer. So, yeah, Jam, Jam Recruitment is the one to come to for that. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. You've, you've got some amazing stories to tell, and I'm sure we haven't even touched the surface. So um, 
it's yeah absolutely fantastic to have you no thank you christina it's been good i feel like i've kind of let it all out it's like a bit of therapy for the evening <laughs>